I should let, <laughs> I should let you know that as part of getting ready for Thanksgiving, it seems as though my neighbors are cutting up some logs with a chainsaw. Okay. Hate when that happens. So yeah. <laughs> it is possible yeah, that, that you will hear that at some point. But I assume that, you know, if there's background noise that's particularly bad, then just stop and yeah, or it'll make it more atmospheric or something, <laughs> or dramatic. <laughs> it'll right. heighten the, the tension. What state are you in? Uh, right now, I'm in Maryland. Okay, so the Maryland uh, Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Is that where you're from, by the way? Um, uh, yeah, I am. I'm, oh, I cool. grew up just outside of Washington. Oh, nice. Well, my mom, not to brag, not to make you feel uncomfortable like you're talking to Washington royalty, but my mom did briefly date Marion Barry. <laughs> at this, this was what time period? In the 60s. She met him at a core meeting. But please don't treat me any differently. You know, I'm just a normal person who happens to be well, the daughter of someone who briefly dated Marion Barry. I'll try. I, I know. Promises. It's like coming to America. I basically live the life of the king and coming to America. Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. You can hear the uh, Katie Helper Show on iTunes, where you got to rate and review us. You can find us on SoundCloud, patreon.com. Go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. You can find me at Katie Helps on Twitter. Really excited to be talking to John Schwartz, who is at The Intercept. He has written for places like The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal. Mother Jones, Slate, NPR, and Saturday Night Live. And he, before uh, joining First Look Media, he worked for Michael Moore's Dog Eat Dog Films and was a research producer for Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story. And in 2003, he collected on a $1,000 bet that Iraq would have no weapons of mass destruction. So welcome, John. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me. Who, by the way, did you win that bet to? I don't know if you're allowed to say it. Maybe you signed an NDA or something when you got the $1,000, but you bet someone that Iraq wouldn't have weapons of mass destruction? Yeah, that's right. In 2003, before the war, it was just some guy online. Like This was the golden age of arguing in the comments section of blogs. I was driven so insane by the fact that you know all the evidence demonstrated that Iraq actually didn't have anything and that there was this entire nation of uh, right-wing George Bush fans who would not accept any of the evidence that I would ask people if they would bet money on it. And this one guy did. And I actually had a side bet with a friend of mine that he would actually pay up. So I won both bets. Oh, wow. So you met like a, a, an atypically honest right-winger, I would say. Yeah, to his credit, you know, I, he's just, I think, an engineer living in Texas, and we had uh, Daniel Dresner judge the bet, hmm. and Dresner said that I won, and the guy sent me a check for $1,000. Wow. I shouldn't say that, what I just said, because I actually no longer believe that at all, that the right wing is more dishonest than the left wing. It's funny. That's another thing that this whole, that I feel like has changed recently, My, a kind of bipartisan scorn that I have that I didn't before. It is true that Donald Trump has broken the brains of a lot of people who I thought were yes. more in touch with reality. The right has an all-encompassing fantasy universe, right. whereas the left does not have that and probably you know, will never have enough billionaires behind it to create one. Right. But it is kind of shocking to see people who have kind of lost it. Yeah. Speaking of Donald Trump, you, you have a piece that's called 
Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts, guys. This Thanksgiving, I'm grateful for Donald Trump, America's most honest president. So let's talk about this weird honesty of Donald Trump and that piece that you wrote about that. And I'm sure you've been getting a lot of pushback. Yeah, there are a lot of very angry people who just read the headline. Of course. I mean, no one could deny, I do not deny, that he is unquestionably the most dishonest president in the history of the United States by every possible metric, right? right. Like he's flagrantly dishonest. Right. He's compulsively right. dishonest. The frequency. Luminously. Right. I guess it was the biggest electoral college win since Ronald Reagan. If you look at uh, President Obama and other presidents, most of them uh, didn't make calls. We have become an energy exporter for the first time ever. You all say it's non-binding. Like hell, it's non-binding. The murder rate in our country is the highest it's been in 47 years, right? There have been some pretty talented liars yeah. who've been president of the United States. We can't let the world's worst leaders blackmail, threaten, hold freedom-loving nations hostage with the world's worst weapons. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. But he has pulled ahead of all of them. So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that he's not lying 718 times every day. But the weird thing about him is that he has broken even the bad taboos yeah. in American politics. You mentioned that the World Trade Center came down during George W. Bush's right, presidency. Are you, are you blaming him for I'm that? I'm not blaming him, although the CIA said there was a lot of information that something like that was going to happen. He knows so little about how politicians are supposed to conduct themselves. Uh, could he have done something about it? His CIA knew about things happening. Every now and then, on rare occasions, he will blurt out the truth in a way that I cannot remember ever hearing from a president or even any, you know, like senator or other right. high-level politician. But when Jeb gets up and says, we, ha we were safe under his brother, we weren't safe. First of all, his brother got us into the war of Ar in Iraq, which is one of the worst catastrophes ever. There were no weapons of mass destruction. But you said he lied. It's really kind of incredible. That's a little more well, he than may just have. he thought. If, but if he didn't... knew that there weren't weapons of mass destruction, and if he used that as an excuse to go in and try and make up for some sins for previous years, then it would be a lie. That's a great example uh, that something you know, people like us should build on. You know, it's like Donald Trump would tell you this, and he's right. right. Impeached. You wouldn't own that anymore. You would once said in 2008, you thought he should be Look, impeached. Look, let me tell you something. The war in Iraq has been a disaster. He started the war in Iraq. Am I supposed to be a big fan? We should turn Donald Trump into memes that, and pretend they're from like some left-wing organization. We would have been so much better off if Bush and the rest of them went to the beach and didn't do anything. <laughs> we should have a, fa like a Facebook page of woke Donald Trump. If you had Saddam Hussein, who's a bad guy and all of that, but he made a living off killing terrorists. Now, if you want to become a terrorist, you go to Iraq. That's like the Harvard of terrorism, okay? Or like Donald Trump channels Howard's in. <laughs> we started the war in Iraq. We spent $2 trillion on that war. We lost thousands of lives. So look, it was not a great job. Now people can say he's popular. I don't know why he's popular. But we also had an economic collapse at the end of his term. Right now, everyone is talking about him explaining why we're not going to sanction Saudi Arabia, that you know they're free to murder and dismember a contributor to the Washington Post if they want. We saying it's like, well, they buy lots of military equipment from us. Right. They give us lots and lots of money. I'm not going to destroy the world economy, and I'm not going to destroy the economy for our country by being foolish with Saudi Arabia. This is about America first. 
They're paying us $400 billion plus to purchase and invest in our country. Those are the two main reasons why we are such tight allies with Saudi Arabia. Like The U.S. government wants Saudi Arabia to take the enormous profits that it makes from selling oil on the world market and recycle those profits back into the U.S. economy. And that's been true since World War II. Like They make so much money. We need that money. We want it back. A lot of that money comes back to the United States in terms of them buying you know, these armaments that they never use and, in fact, are so incompetent that they couldn't use even if they wanted to. The Saudis are not very good at fighting wars. No one in Saudi Arabia actually wants to put their own lives on the line. Because they're peaceniks? Just kidding. <laughs> Internationalists yeah. and peaceniks? Yeah. It goes back to U.S. multinational corporations in a bunch of different forms, and, and that's key. Like It really undergirds the U.S. economy. There was an incredibly interesting like academic paper by an economist named Gabriel Zuckman at the uh, University of California at Berkeley, who is like maybe the world's top expert on tax shelters. Mm, after me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I apologize. It's I really okay. shouldn't It's okay. I'm always overlooked. It's been fine. as presumptuous yeah. as that. It's incredibly fascinating what he writes about. People may know that for at least 20 years, really longer, the United States has had big trade deficits every year. So we are buying more from the world than we are selling. Now, under normal economic rules, what happens is that if you do that for long enough, you start building up gigantic overall trade debt, and eventually the value of your currency falls, and that weakens your country your country's standing in the world because your country's wealth is now worth less to the rest of the world. And that hasn't happened with the United States. And the question is why, and that's what the paper is about. And strangely enough, although the world owns more of the United States than like we own the world, I think it's something like they have $9 trillion of U.S. assets and we have maybe 6 or $7 trillion of world assets, the returns that we get on our foreign assets are so much higher than the returns that foreigners get on their U.S. assets that we're still draining money from the rest of the world every year. And as I say, that's kind of complicated and weird. It's, it's hard to understand because nobody ever talks about it. Right. But it is this enormous like economic privilege that the United States has, uh, where we're kind of taking, I think, it's maybe $150 billion every year out of the world, which is not what you would expect from a country that is a huge world debtor. Anyway, the point is that what Zuckman found was that the reason this probably happens has a lot to do with our relationships with countries like Saudi Arabia, that politically, like, like we're providing the muscle to protect them. And in return, you know, they're giving us a bigger cut of their oil profits and money that they get from other sources. Recently, when asked if you consider sanctioning Saudi Arabia for the mafia-like murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, Trump was hesitant. He said, because they are ordering military equipment. Everybody in the world wanted that order. Russia wanted it. China wanted it. We wanted it. We got it. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon. I don't want to lose an order like that. So as you as you're saying, it's like shockingly honest, which is not because he's a committed to telling the truth or a truth teller or has some kind of righteous um, moral alignment with transparency. And you're obviously not suggesting that. I do think it's interesting how there's something somewhat comparable with someone like Ram Paul or Ron Paul in that it's not the they have really terrible politics in many ways. But then on certain issues, often on like international foreign policy issues, they'll say things that Democrats won't say. You know, they use words like the occupation because they're critical. I mean, it's for, for the wrong reasons, right? Like they're isolationists. But it is really interesting when when you hear something like that coming out of the mouths of such unexpected people. 
And I think that people don't understand that that doesn't you can acknowledge those things without defending. That doesn't mean you're defending that person. Yeah, that is true. And, you know, with both Ron and Rand Paul, I would say whatever you want to say about their politics, you know, they're a million times smarter with Trump. Yeah, Trump. yeah, of course. Right. They actually are trying to tell the truth. Whereas I think with Trump, it's simply that he's just too dumb to know what the script is. You know, the United States foreign policy establishment has built up right. a script over you know, sure. decades, hundreds of years. And he's just too dumb to know what the script is. I think sometimes he's underestimated. I don't think he's like faking it and an actual genius, but I do think it's part of his shtick also is to like deviate. It's it's convenient because then he doesn't have to learn all the script. But I think part of his script is to break is to break taboos, and that means occasionally saying things that that we on the left would say critically. So I think he doesn't know the script, but he also chooses not to even get the talking points of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's true. And and it's a fool's errand for any of us right. to like wonder what's going on. In oh, Donald we shouldn't, we, you don't want to do a hot take where we have like a panel of psychiatrists telling us what's wrong with them, because that's really helpful. I ask, I have this joke sometimes where I talk about woke Trump. And that refers to when he says things like, well, sometimes it's so transparent. I don't remember he, he called Obama the deporter in chief. President Obama has moved millions of people out. Nobody knows about it. Nobody talks about it. But under Obama, millions of people have been moved out of this country. They've been deported. She doesn't want to say that, but that's what's happened. Right. He criticized Hillary for super predators. Hillary Clinton called black youth super predators. Remember that? Super predators. Obviously, this guy is someone who ran on calling Mexicans rapists who took out a full ad in the Daily News calling on the reinstatement of the death penalty, calling for the reinstatement of the death penalty with the Central Park Five, um, lamented the fact that they won a, a legal, a civil suit for being, um, you know, set up by the NYPD. This guy is not good on either issues, on racial justice or immigration, but it's hilarious to see him talk like he's a, a member of Code Pink or something. Similarly, he did a, a very weird and brilliant and scary thing I don't know if you watched his speech at the um, at the RNC, but he was talking about the Pulse nightclub shooting, which Glenn Greenwald has done all this research to show that it wasn't actually about LGBTQ stuff. But that's kind of another story. But he talked about his LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Only weeks ago in Orlando, Florida, 49 wonderful Americans were savagely murdered by an Islamic terrorist. This time, the terrorist targeted LGBTQ community. No good. And we're going to stop it. And then he said, that's why I'm protecting them from a foreign, hateful foreign ideology. As your president, I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBTQ citizens from the violence and oppression of a hateful foreign ideology. Believe me. So he was basically saying, I like gay people, which is why we need to keep the Muslims out, which was like such a great Trumpism, making this amalgam of Islamophobia and pseudo anti-homophobia. I have to say, as a Republican, it is so nice to hear you cheering for what I just said. Thank you. So yeah, he, he drops lots of gems. And also, of course, he normalized the word pussy, uh, which feminists have been trying to do for so long. <laughs> hey, when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. <laughs> Whatever you want. Grab him by the <laughs> Every single Republican
Republican is going to have to answer the question, what did you do the day you saw the tape mm -hmm. of this man boasting about grabbing exactly. a woman's pussy? Period. Okay. All right. Will you please stop saying that word? My daughter is listening. Yeah, you know what, Scotty? Don't tell me you're offended when I say pussy, but you're not offended when Donald Trump says exactly. I'm not running for president. He is. So that's another thing we can thank woke Trump for. I remember being absolutely shocked when he said, I wasn't as shocked when Trump would say truthful things as when he was running for president, but I was shocked when he said that thing, what was it, Bill O'Reilly? When he was asked about Putin, Putin's a killer. He said a lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why well, you think our country's so innocent? I think our country does plenty of killings, also. And it is really just funny to hear these lines, and they're the lines that you're used to, like kind of cheering on when they're coming from the from the perspective of criticizing the U.S. as opposed to kind of giving us license, which is what he's doing. Right. Everybody believed that Americans were so in love with the idea that. Uh, we were 100% morally beautiful that any politician who would even make a nod to the reality of right. US history like this you know would be immediately crushed but it, it turns out Americans don't care yeah and that's perfectly fine with Americans you know, at least it's okay if you are a republican saying it right that's an important point yeah but I really do think, as I say, that, that he has broken all of the taboos in American politics, including the bad ones. But that's a really important point you made, which is that you're allowed to say this stuff if your perspective is, you said, if you're a Republican or really if you're someone who's saying it as a way to to embolden the United States for what it's doing, as opposed to as a way to rein it in. His honesty is almost like it's not praise per se, but it's it's a. He's throwing morality to the side and he's embracing kind of doing whatever he wants or whatever is allegedly good for America. Right. He's, he's saying, like, like, why should we even pretend right. in the way that previous politicians pretended? Yeah. Right. Which is why it is so ludicrous when you have liberals like wringing their hands and pulling out their hair and yelling about what a liar he is and how he's, you know, what treason he's committing and he's he's ruining this institution of the presidency, the office of the president. Like literally no one who likes him is bothered by that. It's like nobody cares. That's kind of his shtick. Or maybe they are slightly, but they're I think a lot of people like it and then the rest overlook it. It, it demonstrates, I think, what is the, the, like the core problem of liberalism, yeah. like not just in the United States, but around the world. Like a conservative worldview is coherent, like it all fits together and makes sense. It may or may not be right. right. It depends on what you believe about human nature. A radical world you know, perspective also makes sense and all fits together and may be right if you know, we are hopefully right about right. human nature. But the, the liberal in-between mealy-mouthed perspective does not make any sense. That's why you always have liberal governments that, that people don't trust and they're mm. right not to trust them. Right. Because they're not telling the truth. Huh. You know, like when Obama went to Cairo to give his big speech, you know, where he was purportedly offering his hand in peace to the Islamic world, he wasn't telling the truth about the cause of terrorism right. towards the United States, which is U.S. foreign policy. If you heard that, you could tell, anybody could tell that he was lying. On the right, people hear that and think, well, he's lying because he's a secret Muslim. Whereas, you know, we know that right. he was lying because he wanted to run the U.S. empire in a more rational way. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like when he could call him a socialist, I'd always be like, I've stopped getting my hopes up, if only. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the reason why 
Donald Trump can tell the truth in this way, and I think, and people sometimes respond to it, is because there is nobody telling a story that makes sense from the left. And so people know the middle ground is sort of liberal middle ground. Right is nonsense. There used to be a chain email. Like in 2003, 2004, we invade Iraq. There are no weapons of mass destruction. Everybody's like, aha, George Bush is a liar. And conservatives would send around this chain email, which listed all of the claims about Iraq having weapons of mass destruction that were made by Democrats, that were made by Bill Clinton, that were made by John Kerry, that were made by Hillary Clinton. Right. And they were like, well, this just goes to show that George W. Bush was telling the truth. And that's the conservative way of looking at it. The radical correct way of looking at it is like, no, actually, it's not that all of these politicians were mistaken. It's that they all of them, Republicans and Democrats, were lying. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, that was an example of a sort of pre-Trump way of telling the truth, where they were able to tell some of the truth because the liberal middle ground was being deceptive about this. And people can sense this even if they don't know the specifics. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really want we to we're going to have to do a second part of this because I want to talk more about that. Like, what is the conservative view? What is the radical view? What is the liberal view? Uh, could you I mean, do, do you think you could do that in like one minute? This would be a cool, like reality <laughs> TV show. Sure. Do you want me to give it yeah. a shot right now? Go. The conservative worldview, like if you can boil it down, is that human beings are terrible. You need really powerful governments and other institutions to restrain them from living out their worst impulses. Maybe the United States does have a gigantic empire and is ruling over the rest of the world and killing tons of people. But we've got to do that because otherwise they'll come here and kill us. Anybody else would do the same terrible things under the same circumstances if they had the chance. So it might, might as well be us running everything. A radical worldview believes that human nature under the proper circumstances is a positive thing. You know, human beings are not inherently terrible. Human beings are smart. That human beings can govern themselves if given the opportunity. And that you know, the people on Earth actually can live together. That we don't need to have a succession of empires rising and falling and brutalizing everybody else on earth. So those two things, like they're coherent and nobody can say 100% for sure which of those things is right. What we can say is that the sort of mushy liberal middle doesn't make any sense. You know, with terrorism in particular, if you can't tell the truth that it's blowback from US foreign policy, then like many Democrats like Obama, you're left just talking about like, well, you know, Islam is a religion of peace. Well, Islam is not a religion of peace because there's no such thing as a religion of peace. There are no nationalisms of peace. Right. Every religion has a spectrum from a hard right to a hard left, just like nations do. And so the liberal middle simply is a lie and people can sense that. And if there's no perspective from the left that fits together and makes sense, the right will always win. All right. That was great. That was our three minute uh, summary of, the, of three main uh, ideological positions. We're going to have to get you back on to do like Marxist-Leninism and Trotskyism. We'll have to do another time. You have another piece about uh, Columbus Day, not to make uh, Thanksgiving feel bad, but you did say Columbus Day was the most important date of the year, every year. So could Thanksgiving share in any of the spoils, so to speak, of uh, Columbus Day? Let's say Thanksgiving is, is the junior varsity. Okay, great. And every, everything that you need to know about on Columbus Day you should be thinking about on Thanksgiving as well. And it's really a better opportunity because you're there with your family and you can discuss the history of the last 500 years with them. Right. You're not playing a game where you run into people's houses and kill them and take their stuff. 
which is exactly. the right way to celebrate Columbus Day. Yeah. The reason I say that is that the central fact of essentially all politics on Earth is the history of European colonialism over the past 500 years. The incredible thing about it is that that is never discussed. And in fact, I would say it's precisely because it is the central fact that it's never discussed. Uh, you know, I talked about a phenomenon that anthropologists call social silence, which is exactly that, which says that the way human cultures work is that in terms of what we focus on and will discuss, you know, it's like looking at the sun, like the sun is the central fact of life on earth, but we never look at the sun. We never look at European colonialism and the fact that, you know, starting in 1492, Europeans conquered, like, I think like 85% of the landmass on Earth. The only place on Earth that really escaped being colonized was Japan. And that is a significant fact. Like, like why was Japan the first country to you know, sort of catch up to European and American economic standards and have you know, what we would consider a modern economy where people were prosperous? Well, the only place where that happened immediately was Japan. And those things are probably connected. And so European colonialism was unquestionably, nobody would deny, could deny, it was the driving force until World War II and what was called decolonization after World War II, which was real in some senses. But the after effects and what Pope Francis has called like new forms of colonialism mm. in another guise mean that European colonialism in many ways has just never ended. And you cannot understand life on Earth unless you understand that. And... I went through a whole bunch of different things that seem totally unconnected, but if you understand that European colonialism is what matters, <laughs> they fit together very well. I can talk about some of my yeah, favorites. Yeah, there are too many. There are a lot of them. Right. <laughs> okay, so you take the money out of your wallet. Nobody knows for sure where the dollar sign came from, but there is a lot of speculation that makes sense that it comes from the city seal of Potosi in Bolivia. The only reason I know about the history there is weird happenstance. My grandfather was a historian of Spanish and Portuguese colonialism. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he actually is an honorary citizen there. Whoa. He wrote a history of the city. That's so cool. Yeah, it is, it is really interesting. And the history is this, is that there's a gigantic mountain outside the city. The city grew up around it. It had maybe the world's greatest deposits of silver. Over a period of hundreds of years, it's estimated that 10 million people were worked to death in the mines. This would be indigenous Bolivians, mm -hmm. also Africans mm -hmm. who were enslaved and sent to Bolivia. That's why it was called the mountain that eats men. Mm. On the city seal, you can see actually two things that look very much like a dollar sign. At the time of uh, the U.S. Revolution and in the decades afterwards, just everybody knew that this is where wealth came from. You know, it was a topic of discussion, and, and these coins would have circulated in the United States. And so it's quite possible that that's where the dollar sign comes mm -hmm. from. This example of sort of the essence of European colonialism, which is that for some people, this mountain meant gigantic amounts of wealth, like all of this money flowed out of the mountain to the Spanish government. And it's why their gigantic, beautiful buildings uh, in Spain, in Madrid, were built 400 years ago. And then for people on the other side of colonialism, it meant mass death. Right. It meant essential slavery and being condemned to live underground and live and die in the darkness. So yeah. 
There's no better metaphor for capitalism than mining. Yeah. And like we carry that around with us every day on our money, Mm. but nobody knows that. And so we don't see it. Right. But it is right there. It's right there in our pockets. Uh, that's that's one example. Uh, like you see it in our culture, but people are completely blind to it. Uh, War of the Worlds, Avatar, Apocalypse Now, uh, Day of the Jackal. Those are all movies that are either metaphorically or literally about European colonialism. But nobody knows that. Nobody knows that about Avatar. Hmm. Uh, that that's that really is how it was conceived. Nobody knows that about World War of the Worlds. Like they see the remake with Tom Cruise, directed I think by Steven Spielberg. Like that was never discussed when the movie came out. That you know H. G. E. Wells wrote that very right. specifically as an allegory about colonialism. If you are living in sort of the world capitals of colonialism, it's like, well, what's you know what's the big deal? Like, why was was colonialism really that bad? Well, you know. It, it was that bad. Right. Like it was an ideology as brutal, as cruel as fascism, as Nazism, uh, as Stalinism at its worst. In fact, there's a very good argument to be made that fascism grew out of colonialism. Mm. Yeah, my grandfather wrote about that. My historian grandfather, wow. like, wrote at the time, like, this is growing out of colonialism and the sort of extremely powerful ideology of racism yeah. that colonialism created, you know, fascism adopted. You know, it's funny, Matt, we had Matt Chrisman on and his thesis was basically that fascism is just colonialism turned inward. Like when it yeah, comes, I, yeah. I, I think that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly the right way to put it. Yeah. He's so smart. It's so funny. He's like this whole personality and then he's this kind of walking historian. Yeah. I, I am a huge Matt Crispin fan. Yeah. My favorite Chapo chap. We're doing a. We're going to do a live taping with him and Matt. With a Matt, it's going to be a Matt on Matt Civil War history live taping show. Him and Matt Carp, big Civil War nerds. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, but sorry, I, we I I took away from I I, I exploited your resources like like you were like a like a colonizer. Yeah, just cruelly extracting yeah, exactly. the wealth that my society had built up over hundreds of right. years. Otherwise known as changing the subject, <laughs> but. Uh, Yes, I mean, I think that that's true, that colonialism is seen as this natural, inevitable part of history, and fascism is seen as like a nightmare distortion of human progress. People very much have a, well, it's like a necessary evil idea almost about colonialism. Right. The uh, funny part, and the reason I say funny in that way is that I'm about to bring bring up Adolf Hitler. Oh, God. Great segue, yeah. Is that just ask him? Right. Like he he was very clear about that. Uh, there is a book by somebody who recorded a bunch of like casual conversations they had with Hitler over dinner. Oh my god! I really wish Instagram had been around then. <laughs> Selfies with Hitler, MFW. Uh, yeah. Hitler said this. This was 1941, uh, and he was talking about Germany at that point had invaded the Soviet Union, and I said, "Well, take away its character of an Asiatic step." We'll Europeanize it. As for the two or three million men whom we think we need to accomplish this, we'll find them quicker than we think. They'll, they'll come from Germany, Scandinavia, the Western countries, and America. Wow. I'm flattered. There's only one duty, to Germanize this country by the immigration of Germans and to look upon the natives as redskins. So we were literally an inspiration to Hitler. Like He, he saw what happened to Native Americans and, and was like, oh man, that's some good work. Yeah. And yet, we still have a football team called the Washington Redskins. Right. Yeah. Which is unbelievably obscene. <laughs> yeah, it really and, and nobody, is. Some people will note that it's a you know pretty gross 
to have this racial slur as the name of a professional football team. But the worst part is it part about it is that it's not just that, but it's the Washington Redskins, the uh, home of the Great White Father. So it's really uh, just, just amazing, and just like just like the dollar sign. It's right there in front of us. It's the history of European colonialism and its incredible brutality, but nobody ever talks about it. That's social silence. We just don't see it. Yeah. So um, what other, any other things that are Columbus Day or Thanksgiving Day related that we want people to make sure they think about as they eat their turkey? I'm unbelievably lucky to have a job where I can get into these weird historical details. People know what Cinco de Mayo is, sort of. Everybody drinks a lot of Mexican beer. Or margaritas. Or margaritas. What Cinco de Mayo is is really about, I mean, the reason why it's a holiday is that it it marks a Mexican victory in uh, the battle against France when France invaded Mexico. And France invaded Mexico because Mexico had borrowed a ton of money from France in order to fight some wars of independence. And, you know, the country was never very rich. It was less rich after the wars and was unable to pay France back on time. And France decided, well, we're just going to show up and take Mexico over and, you know, work everybody to death and and get our money back. That's European colonialism. And people say, I was like, well, that's just history. Well, it's not just history. Right. People may remember the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which Mm -hmm. was supposed to be like the big achievement of the end of the Obama. The gold standard, right? Which he which he slow jammed with Jimmy Fallon. I'm President Barack Obama, and I too would like to slow jam this noose. Just the grossest thing I've ever seen Obama do, I think. (laughs) And that's why I negotiated the new trade deal called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. Are you saying you're down with TPP? Yeah, you know me. Jimmy, the TPP allows American businesses to sell their products both at home and abroad. The more we sell abroad, the more higher paying jobs we provide here at home. It's that simple. So so what you're saying is this trade deal will help put everyday Americans back to work, 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 work. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon is not the world's uh, most politically sophisticated no. individual. No. Like this with France, like that was classic gunboat diplomacy. And of course, the United States has done that a million different times in the Caribbean and Latin America. But the, what's incredible is that the Obama White House on its website explained why the Trans-Pacific Partnership was so great. And one of the things that was so great about it was something called the Investor State Dispute Settlement. And they said, you know, before we had investment rules and international agreements, unlawful behavior by countries that targeted foreign investors tended to either to go unaddressed or escalate into conflict. In fact, early in our history, the U.S. had to deploy gunboat diplomacy or military intervention to protect private American commercial interests. Wow. That's a bit Trumpist. That's a bit Trumpy. Yes. Like very straightforward, very upfront. And they said, you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is a more peaceful, better way to resolve trade conflicts between right. countries. Which is, you know, we're, we're still going to get their money. Uh, they're going to pay us back. Yeah. But we're not going to have to bother going down there with right. the battleship. Right. It's also nice they're taking the mask off of various conflicts in the past that we would not have at the time have said, or the U.S. government would not have said we're about money. Exactly. At the time, you know, people didn't rally the troops by saying, right. let's all go protect private American commercial interests in Cuba. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, it was always a, a tremendous moral cause. Yeah. But so, again, this is an example of like Cinco de Mayo. Everyone has forgotten the historical context, which was gunboat diplomacy by a European country. But it goes right up to the present day. It's right. You can look this up. It's you know it's on the archived Obama White House website. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's true. We actually had Jake, uh, Jake Flores, who's a comedian, who has a a joke and a stand up set, and he tweeted. He was like workshopping a joke we about how he was. He's kind of annoyed with the the hot takes about cultural appropriation, the BuzzFeed pieces. And so he said, and he's half Mexican. He was like, "How about if you like kill an ICE officer?" You get to culturally appropriate Mexican culture. Um, and he tweeted that out and Homeland Security came to his place. I don't know yeah. if you heard about this. Yeah, No, no, I did hear about that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Another thing that you link Columbus Day to is the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the original seal. Uh, for most of the 1600s, the seal of the Massachusetts Bay Colony was a Native American who was saying, come over and help us. And of course, a lot of people came over and helped them out. Right. Thank God and for small favors. helped them out so hard uh, that very soon they were all dead. Right. You know, what I connect that to is just another weird part of the psychology of colonialism, which is that you see throughout the history of it that the people who are doing the colonizing always conceive of themselves as specifically generous. Like that's a word that you find over and over and over again. Like, we are being generous. Yeah. Don't mention it, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrew Jackson, just before he forced the Cherokee out on the Trail of Tears, gave this long speech about how uh, g generously the United States was treating Native Americans. Mm. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said that no one had ever treated anyone as generously as we had treated American Indians. It just it goes on and on and on. You'll find it everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Hitler now making his second appearance uh, on this show. Yeah. Uh, we like to give him half a dozen usually, but <laughs> yeah, he he spoke about uh, how generous Germany was being to Poland just before Germany invaded them. So you you find it forever. It, one specific example that people may kind of remember is that uh, in two thousand, when there was a, sort of a summit, Camp David for Israel and. Arafat and the Palestinians, you know, it didn't work out. And throughout the American media, you found over and over and over again this phrase, like Israel had made this generous offer to the Palestinians. And like, how how could right. they have turned this down? Yeah. How could they have walked away from this incredible generosity? You know, this just proves that they've never wanted peace. Right. Yeah. That, there's, that there's, great there's, refrain. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is no partner for peace if you turn down this generous offer. Well, if you know that history, if you know the history of European colonialism, you would have heard that and be like, oh, man, the poor Palestinians. When people talk about being generous to someone else, it means they are beating the crap out of them. Yeah. And so you would have heard that and been like, the Palestinians are really in trouble. Like, right. <laughs> they're really getting it. And uh, so... It's again. It's right there in front of us. Like that was in that was in the news that this was a generous offer. The context of European colonialism and what it meant for the present day was not. Yeah. Um, so what should we think about? Like when we're sitting down on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well. Besides all these things that that I hope everyone listening, um, we're going to release this either late either Wednesday night or Thursday morning, so everyone will have time to listen and then they can share these gems with their family. Yeah, please. Uh, I, I would just encourage everyone to print these articles out and yeah. just you know, make a copy for everybody and just leave it on their plate. Yeah. 
Uh, that, Put an extra place like Elijah. Bring Elijah to, <laughs> to Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know what? What I hope that people would take away from something like this, like it's not. It's not that anybody in the present day necessarily has to, right. you know, feel guilty if you're part of the group that colonized everybody else. You personally were not involved. Right. But no one can understand the world without this context. Like politics makes no sense. And as I was saying, like the liberal worldview leaves this stuff out. Mm. And hence, the liberals are always vulnerable to conservatives who will tell part of the history. So, so one example of this is that back when there was debate about, you know, should, should we take all the Japanese Americans and put them in internment camps like in, in World War II, there were people in newspapers where the liberals would say, like, oh, we can't do this, you know, because this is a betrayal of our values. And the conservatives actually would say, like, their letters like this, look what we did to Native Americans. Like, why can't we do this to right. Japanese Americans? Yeah, it's a good question. It's like the Trump thing again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the liberals are stymied because they were lying about the real history of America, whereas the radical perspective would be to say, like, yeah, we did do that. Let's not repeat it. The through line on this is amazing. I mean, people may also know, you know, Trump was just talking about the killing of bin Laden. His nickname or like, like code name on the mission where we flew into Pakistan and, and killed him, was Geronimo. You, know, you, look at, you look at that and you have to say, you're like, you know, American Indians, <sighs> we've killed people all over the world, but we'll never forget. You were our first. <laughs> right. You never forget your first. That's true. So it is, like, it's, it is just incredible that all of this is right there, but nobody discusses it. And so it's just a whole bunch of random events that don't make any sense right and like, like things are connected like there is history like history is a force it's hard to break out of history it has a lot of momentum and inertia of its own and you just have to understand that if you want anything to make sense right well john thank you so much where can people uh find you well i am uh at the intercept Go to theintercept.com. You should be able to find my writing there. I'm on Twitter um, at Schwartz, but it's Schwartz without a T. So it's S-C-H-W-A-R-Z. Uh, I want to emphasize that that is the legitimate spelling of Schwartz. Okay. That people who have a T in their name foolishly... Are sellouts. Uh, they are sellouts. Uh, they came to America with their name without a T and... Uh, the people told them, well, we won't be able to pronounce your name unless we add it. And they were like, okay. Uh, but my people stood strong. You're the sub-Schwartzes. Yes. Although, of course, that's well, you, you could call opposite, us the sub-Schwartzes. Right? That's an unbelievable injustice. You would say you're the uber-Schwartzes. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would characterize it. That's, and the others are sub-Schwartzes, actually. Right. They shouldn't even, they don't even deserve to be Schwartzed. They don't deserve to be Schwartzes. You know, yeah. we, we can make an accommodation if they're reasonable. Yeah, if they apologize. We can, we can, we can make a generous offer. Right. Right, exactly. But the first step is acknowledging the mistake. Yeah, the wrongdoing of the past. Exactly, right. And then if they show remorse, there can be rehabilitation, then they can maybe be accepted back into the Schwartz society. Yeah, exactly. No promises. Yeah, no promises. Well, thank you so much. This was really yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. I really, I, <laughs> thank you for letting me go on at such length about this weird minutia. But no, I love it. I really think it's important. Um, no, it is. Yeah, we should do another one because there's so much. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I would, I would love to. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> I always have more to say. 
That should be uh, your Twitter bio. <laughs> yeah. Always has more to say. No T. T is for traitor. That's what you should say about the Schwartzes who use the T. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Halper Show. You can find the Katie Halper Show on iTunes, SoundCloud. Don't forget to check out our bonus. Go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. 